Amen. Y'all ready for some truth? We like the truth, don't we? You know, Winston Churchill, he once said that men occasionally stumble across the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing happened. (laughs) You know, that cracks me up because you think about it, it's what happens a lot. You know, there was a video message um, to our churchgoers, one that uh, most recognized religious leaders in the world, and he made this stunning statement. He said, many think differently, feel differently, seeking God or meeting God in different ways. And in this crowd, in this range of religion, there's only one certainty that we have for all, that we are all God's children. You know, there was another popular pastor and best-selling author unveiled his belief in universalism when he said there are many ways to Jesus. And on Monday, I I listened to a so-called pastor preach these words, the Christ is you and he lives in you. He's your travel guide to the steps along the way to enlightenment. Now to add to that, there are some common quotes that many Americans and some Christians hold to. One says, doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere that good people go to heaven, that my God wouldn't send anyone to hell, that good works will get you to heaven, that whatever works for you is truth for you. And lastly, it's arrogant to believe there's only one way to heaven. Folks, this is the difference between religion and the gospel. This is the difference between religion and the gospel. I wish we could understand that. I wish we could get that in our head that this is the difference between religion and the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, all religions, I don't care what religion it is, all religions, you have to do something in order to attain something for whatever your little G God is that's out in front of you. You have to do something for that, and and that's what religion is. It's all made from man, and it's all about man's rules. But the gospel is not from man. The gospel is from God. The one true God, almighty God. You see, people in religion, they make up their own standards and and they make up their own standards, but those standards are things that anybody can attain. As long as you work hard enough, you can do this. In fact, the Pharisees in the Jewish religion got bored and so they created 613 more rules to make it a little more interesting. But Christianity is based on God's standards. And let me tell you this, no one can attain God's standards. No one. That's why Jesus had to become a man. That's why God incarnate, God in the flesh, came as Jesus. Not to destroy the law, not that condemned us all, but to fulfill the law. 
And when he fulfilled it as a man, our representative, he went to the cross for us and he hung on the cross to pay a debt that he didn't owe, that we couldn't pay. That's the difference in the gospel and any other religion. I don't care where it is, I don't care what form it's in, I don't care the name behind it. (laughs) You know, Dr. Howard Hendricks, he used to say this, he said, a mist, a mist in the, the pulpit is a fog in the pew. Okay, and, 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 and I'll make sure there's no mist up here and if you'll make sure there's no fog out there. And you may not agree with everything I'm going to say, but I'm gonna ask you, could you not shut down, please? Just hear me out, listen to it. And I urge you to understand and apply what you're going to hear because your eternity literally depends on it. I mean, since Jesus really did come back to life from the dead, he did something that no one else has ever done. And because that is true, he has the right to make a claim on every person that no one else could make because they have not done what he did. In John 14... Verse six, Jesus said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Here's the big idea. Here's the main point. Here's the sermon in a sentence. If I believe God's word, if I believe the Bible, If I believe that, I must say that Jesus is the only way. If I believe the Bible and Jesus said I am the only way, then I must believe that Jesus is the only way. Let me make it just a little more personal. If you do not believe in and receive Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven, you will spend eternity in the never-ending fires of hell. I can't make it any plainer. I can't make it any clearer. You know, that's quite an opening, isn't it? Because what I just said is politically incorrect. But it is biblically correct. See, we call this tough truth and and gracious good news. You know, I can't recall in 24 years of, of pastoral ministry, I cannot recall the number of times that I've turned to this passage in John 14 to bring comfort and encouragement to a family or to an individual in a time of testing or in a time of of grief or a time of sorrow. And although the text is about a believer's ultimate destination, it's also about the journey getting there. It's about the journey. And sooner or later, you know, the troubled heart comes to all who live in this world. Could our world get any weirder, any stranger than it is right now? 
I mean, the troubled heart comes to us all. And it's part of living in a world that is, that, that is sinful and, and, and sorrowful and, and full of suffering. And there are times when great discouragement can overtake even the best Christian. Where we feel like, man, I just don't know if I can keep going on. But Jesus reminds us that we are pilgrims. We are travelers. <laughs> Here's the good part, that we're just passing through. <laughs> This world is not our home. We're just passing through on our way home. And what a blessing that is. We are bound for the promised land. We're on our way. We're we're headed home. So read with me, if you will, in John chapter 14 as we continue our our series on beholding his glory. And I want to read what Jesus said here in John 14. Then I'll talk about it some. But... um, you know, we've been, we've been talking about beholding his glory. And really, what, what, what I mean by that is seeing, seeing Jesus. You know, last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, and, and we're moving towards Easter. And, and really, what I'm hoping is through this series, as we look at Jesus, that it's going to make his, his sacrifice on the cross uh, during that time we celebrate Easter and his, his, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, that it'll make that time even more special as we look at Jesus. But read with me, if you will, John 14, uh, beginning in verse 1, it says this. It says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. And I ask, Father, that you would open our hearts and minds, that your Holy Spirit would uh, guide us into all truth. And Father, that you would draw us to you. And even now in this moment, Father, as we look at your word, Father, that the truth of your word would ring in our hearts. And Father, that we would know that it would confirm who you are, Lord Jesus, in each one of our lives. Thank you, Father. Guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in this passage this morning, I see at least three sources of encouragement for life's journey. I mean, we're all on this journey, and we need encouragement along the way. And and Jesus is giving us encouragement here in this passage. And it's an encouragement based on proof. Based on proof. In verse 1, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And I think this is huge because what is our proof that there are better days ahead, that, that the world is not all that there is to life? And that one day, all of our pain, all of our tears will be wiped away. What is the proof of that? Our proof is God's word. Our proof is God's word. And I think this is big because, you know, the only proof we need 
is his infallible, his immutable, unchangeable. You know, this, this, this word that we have, this sufficient word that, that he has given to us so that we might know who he is, where he's from, and, 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 and who, more about him. The Bible is the record of, of, of human history and God's work in it. And the most significant point in all of human history, the, the hinge point of human history is the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Everything in history hinges on that fact. And I love this because the story of this event fills all of the pages of Scripture. When you read the Bible, you see Jesus in and through the Old Testament. You see him in and through the New Testament because it's all pointing to him. And we need to understand that, that it's all about him And, you know, the creation account shows us God's sovereignty. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He spoke this world into being. This is the power. Let there be light, and boom, there was light. Let there be dry land, and there was dry land. Let there be beasts in the field, and there were beasts in the field. This is the power of God. This is the power of the one we serve. He spoke it into being. He tells us what happened and we see God's sovereignty over creation. But then right away we see the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden. And that shows us why we need a savior. Oh, we have a bent away from God. And we will run from God every time. But God made a way where we could be reconciled back to him. See, the proof is confirmed in the accurate and precise fulfillment of the prophecies in the Old Testament. You read in the Old Testament and every one of those prophecies concerning the Messiah, every announcement of the Lord's first coming has been fulfilled. But catch this, Jesus fulfilled at least 300 prophecies out of the Old Testament. You look at Jesus and it's like, done. Jesus, done. Jesus, done. And did you know that the, 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 <laughs> there leaves no doubt that the 318 mentions, 318 times it's mentioned in the New Testament that Jesus Christ is coming again. Because he fulfilled all of the prophecies of the Old Testament, we can trust the prophecies of the New Testament. He fulfilled those, he's going to fulfill these. See, in a different language, but in the same tone, Jesus gave Mary and Martha the encouragement on their journey. When he said to them, in John 11, 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? See, Jesus proved himself trustworthy by word and by deed. And he is living proof that the word of God can be trusted. I mean, Jesus points to himself. He says, you know, himself as the object of that same religious trust as that we put into God. 
He says, you believe in God. You believe that God exists. You believe, you put your faith and trust in him. Believe also in me. That's what he says here. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. But see, I believe that trust goes even deeper. Even deeper than belief. Belief can be cold and sometimes impersonal, intellectual. But trust is very warm and personal. Belief can be intellectual. Trust is warm and personal. See, the proof upon the encouragement that he is giving is based in a person and his name is Jesus. Folks, we need to hear that. We need to understand that. Secondly, I would say encouragement is based on a promise. Look at verse two and three. Jesus says this, I love this. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. If this wasn't the way it is, then I would have told you that. But this is how it is. And that's why I'm telling you that. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. What a promise. What an amazing promise. I mean, what a word of encouragement for any weary traveler. Your place is being prepared. The bed is being made. The food is being prepared. I'm preparing a place for you. And when Jesus said that he's going ahead to prepare a place for them and for us, he's drawing on a very familiar image. I mean, in those days, it was customary for travelers to send someone else ahead to make sure that the uh, accommodations were set up and ready whenever they got to a distant city. Because they didn't have GPS. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have Travelocity. They didn't have, you know, the, 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 the Waze app. So they would send somebody ahead, part of their party ahead, so that they would make sure that the rooms were ready when they got there. It's very important. I mean, it's exactly what happened the night of the Last Supper. Do you remember? Jesus sent two disciples so that they would go and prepare the upper room so that when everybody else showed up, it would be ready for them. That's what Jesus says he is doing for us, is he's going on ahead to prepare the way so that when we get there, the accommodations will be what they need to be. I love this because he says, in my father's house. See, we see a a place of preparation. I'm going to prepare a place for you and, and, and for a people for that place so that where I am, there you may be also. So we'll all be there together. You know, there's several comforting truths to this picture. First one is that heaven is a real place. It's not just an immaterial state of being. Heaven is a real place. You know, I don't know if you've read Randy Alcorn's book on heaven, but it's a pretty good one. And I know some of you may be looking into that now, but um, you know, when, when I think about heaven, I think about our life here on earth. I mean, we use just a fraction of our brain. Just a fraction. What if when we are 
out of the presence of sin? What if when we are out of the, this, this mortal body, when, when we have a glorified body, what if we use more of our brain? Maybe that's the way God designed it. We're going to use more of our brain. So, you know, I, I think about that and it's like, man, there's some exciting things. I know that God is a creator. I know he started in the garden. He, so I know he loves to garden. Okay, so I'm thinking that there's going to be some, some things in heaven, a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, so I'm thinking that there's got to be things that like when we plant it in the ground, it's going to grow abundantly no matter what. Okay, in heaven. There's not going to be pestilence. There's not going to be all of the sadness and sorrow that, that we go through, you know, that the frost got my plants. It killed all the buds on my tree. No, it didn't. But I'm just saying, you know, what about colors and the spectrum? What if we're using more of our brain and the colors in the spectrum? We see this many colors right now. But what if there's like this many I mean, what if, you know, he spoke it into being. And, and I'm thinking, it says in scripture that we're going to be like him and we're going to see him as he is and he's going to see us. I'm wondering, like, what if all of a sudden all of us understand DNA? What if all of a sudden all of us just, just get it? All of us understand, you know, Atomic theory and all the other things that go on because now we are using more of our brain that he gave us. In heaven, it's going to be a pretty amazing thing, but it's a real place, not just immaterial state of being. I don't think I'm going to be sitting on a cloud somewhere playing a harp. That would make me bored out of my gourd. But I tell you, there are some things that I'd really be excited about. Secondly, I would say heaven, going to heaven is like going home. It's not like you're traveling to a foreign country where you don't know the language, you don't know the geography, you're just a visitor there, you're, you don't know the people, you don't know the customs. It's like going to a familiar place, a comfortable place, where you are welcomed by the Father who loves you and by brothers and sisters who know you. It's like going home. Going to heaven is like going home. Thirdly, I would say this. Jesus is right there now preparing a place for us. Doesn't mean he's working on it with his carpenter tools, you know, adding another room on. Rather, it looks like his present ministry of intercession for us, of being our advocate and, and keeping us for that day. It's like keeping our reservation, you know, I mean, it's always comforting when you, when you travel to know that you have a confirmed reservation when you arrive. I mean, Jesus, is, Jesus promises that if you believe in him, that your name is in the book. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And on that day, he's going to open that book and he's going to look and see if you have a reservation there. And that's what it is. It's like making sure I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And what a wonderful thing. What a, what a beautiful thing that he is preparing that for us. 
And one of the great thoughts of the, of the New Testament is that Jesus goes before us so that we can follow. And he opens up a way so that we may follow in his steps. And one of the great words that's used to describe Jesus is prodromos. Prodromos. The forerunner, if you will. King James, RSV, translated forerunner. But there's two uses of this word that really light up the picture within. In the Roman army, in the Roman army, the prodromoi were the reconnaissance troops. They were the recon. They were the ones that that went ahead of the main body of the army to blaze the trail and ensure that it was safe for the rest of the troops to follow. Prodromoi. And the second picture is in the harbor of Alexandria. It was a very difficult approach to this harbor. And and when these great big ships that that were carrying corn, they would show up there, they would send a small boat out and it would guide that ship through the channel into the harbor so that it could be safe. And I think that's huge because that pilot boat was called the Prodromos. The recon troops were called the Prodromoi. And it's the forerunner that went first to make it safe for others to follow. And these two things illustrate what Jesus is saying about himself in this passage. He goes first to make it safe for those who follow. He blazed the way to heaven and to God so that we might follow him there. And the promise is, I will, if I go, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. You remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. I love that because (laughs) the story tells us that the boy was lost, he was ignorant, and he was spiritually dead. Lost, ignorant, spiritually dead. I don't want to be any one of those. Lost, uh, ignorant, and spiritually dead. He was lost, and it says in in, uh, chapter 15, verse 24 of Luke, it says, this is my son who was lost and is now found. Matter of fact, that's the whole point of the chapter is they're talking about lost things. You have lost sheep, you have a lost coin, and you have a lost son. And I think that's huge because Jesus is telling these stories about lost, things that were lost. And so you have this lost son who is also ignorant. In verse 17 of chapter 15, it says that my son, uh, he came, when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, <laughs> he remembered his father back home. He was lost, he was ignorant, he was also dead. In verse 24, it says, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, he was ignorant, he was dead spiritually, but he came to the Father. We have to come to the Father. We have to return to the Father. And he arrived at the Father's house when he repented and returned. See, a life given in belief and faith in Jesus Christ will pave the way for eternal fellowship with him. See, the cure for the troubled heart and the lonely, weary traveler is the promise that one day we are all going to be home if we've put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. What a promise. Heaven's a real place. It's a prepared place for a prepared people. 
Thirdly, I would say this, encouragement is based on a person. You know, in our passage, it mentions the disciple Thomas. And it says there that, uh, you know, the disciple Thomas, when, when, when he heard Jesus talk about the father's house and, and the, the, the many dwelling places, the mansions and a prepared place, he wanted to make sure that he knew how to get there because he didn't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out either. And that's, I don't want you to miss out. And that's why I share this today. I don't want anybody to miss out on this wonderful opportunity that Jesus is making for us. And so Thomas, he asked the question, he said, so how do we know the way? And sometimes Thomas gets a bad rap. He gets a bad rap, you know, they call him Doubting Thomas. And, and, and he's a little bit skeptical, and, but I look at Thomas as someone who was searching. He's searching. He doesn't want to miss it. He wasn't afraid to ask questions, and you shouldn't be afraid to ask questions either. Jesus answered Thomas, and, and, and I paraphrase, Jesus said this. He said, follow me, I am the way. Follow me, I am the way. Well, how do we know the way, Lord? Follow me, I am the way. And make no mistake about it, what, that's what Jesus said. In a day when, when there are many ways to God and heaven are being promoted, in a day when people tend to believe all religious roads lead to heaven, let's be reminded of what Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, Jesus is very inclusive in the sense that everyone is invited to follow in this relationship with him. Even John in, in, in uh, John six thirty seven it says, and whoever comes to me, Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. But his claims are extremely exclusive in that there is no other way to heaven except through him. Now, I'm going to be wrapping this up. R.C. Sproul, he points out this. This is significant. He points out the notion that all religions are valid. The notion that all religions are valid is logically impossible. The notion that all religions are valid is logically impossible because if all religions are valid, then Christianity is valid. But Jesus said he is the only way to God, which eliminates all other ways to God. So either Jesus was right or he was wrong. But Sproul concludes if he was wrong, then Christianity has no validity at all. But if he was right, then there is no other way. The, the, the culmination of Scripture, the totality of Scripture, gives us overwhelming evidence that Jesus is the only way to heaven. I've got nine Scriptures, and I give these quickly, I promise. Then I'll be finished. Just listen. Listen to what Jesus said in these Scriptures. 
Jesus made it clear that the, the way is narrow in Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. There's a narrow gate that we need to go through. John 3, verse 36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John 5, 23, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. John eleven twenty five. 25, I read earlier, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. You know, Peter boldly said this in Acts 4.12. He said, there is, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 17, 31 and 30, 30 and 31 says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. First Corinthians 3.11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And then in 1 John 5.12, John writes this, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Folks, these passages are extremely exclusive and overwhelmingly clear that Jesus is the only way to God. You know, his statements of divine authority are incompatible with the homogenizing views of religious pluralists today. The claims of Christ are outrageous, but they happen to be what G.K. Chesterton called the wild truth. You know, as we move towards a time of invitation and, and response, I just want you to listen. There are, there are times when the journey gets difficult and the way gets hard. The storms come into our lives. The trials come. And the times when we feel lonely, there are times when, when we know that no one knows or even cares what we're doing in, in our section of the vineyard. But encouragement is found in the assurance that one day, and I believe that day is not far away, that the day when Jesus is to return is not far away, that one day we will stand before the one who kept the record of our faithful service to him. Folks, we're on our way home. Be encouraged. We're on our way home. Stay the course. We're going to get there. Don't be discouraged. You believe in God. Believe also in Jesus. Let's pray together. 
Loving Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord Jesus, I thank you for giving us the, the proof and the encouragement that we need. Father, to, to follow you. We recognize that apart from you, we can do nothing. But Father, you made a way for each one of us to be reconciled to you. Father, your word says there is no one good, no, not one. And Father, I pray that as we examine our hearts, Father, we would recognize the love, the sacrifice, the unconditional love that you gave us in Jesus Christ to bring us back to you. Father, I'm encouraged to know that one of these days before too long, we're gonna be home. And Father, it's kinda like going on a long journey when you, you finally are on that home stretch and you look forward to being back in your home and sleeping in your own bed and eating meals at your own table. Father, you're encouraged knowing that I've just got one more leg, one more day to, to do this and then I'll be home. But Father, I pray that we would not lose heart. But not only that, Father, that we would encourage others as we see the day approaching. Knowing that on that day, King Jesus will return and he will know those who are his and he's gonna separate the sheep from the goats. Father, I look forward to sitting at your table. I look forward to fellowshipping with your son and with you and with all who have gone before. Father, we look forward to that great reunion day and we see the labor pains even now. Father, we know that day is not far off. We're hearing wars and rumors of wars. Father, it's like these, these, um, the groanings of a, of a pregnant woman just getting ready to, to give birth. But Father, we recognize that it's not far, it's not long, and we will be with you. So help us to encourage others, Father, to decide to move from where they are towards you, Jesus, so that they too can know the joy of everlasting life. Father, I pray that while we have time, Father, that we would speak the truth to those around us. Guide us as we respond to you in Jesus' name. Amen.